Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Four Checking TV. I'm your host, Doug Glackey. Alongside me are my co-hosts, Scotty Porterfield and Peyton Trollinger. Boys, how are we doing this evening? Uh, the sun is setting and it's not even six o'clock, or it's just now six o'clock, so it's uh, it's not exactly the, uh, the ideal conditions, but uh, it is what it is, I guess, so. Yeah. So much fun. Same. Same thing. Yeah, this is the time of the year where you really need to, like, basically just find a way to trick your brain. It's literally what it is. Like, yeah, it's like, it's brutal. Um, you know, yeah, it's not good. But um, lots of good things going on in hockey. Um, to lead it off, Jack Eichel did indeed get traded to the Vegas Golden Knights. Finally. For Alex Tuck, by the way, which is wild. I literally, like when we recorded last week, I literally just spitballed that and it ended up coming to be. So that's that's pretty nuts on my end. Yeah, I mean, this was, uh, obviously we knew the deal was uh, was pending and we'd seen all the rumors that it was going to happen. And then finally we woke up the next morning after the pod had been uploaded and uh, next thing you know, Jack Eichel is a uh, Vegas Golden Knights. So Good to see that they, uh, you know, they didn't really have to give up a, a king's ransom, I guess. At least Vegas didn't in order to make that deal happen. And uh, yeah, hopefully it benefits both sides, obviously, because I mean, we'll see how long it takes Jack Eichel to get uh, to get ready. They're saying that it's not looking good for him to even play during the Olympics right now, from the latest report that I read. So honestly, if if you can have him back by the time you're ready to push for the playoffs, I think that's all you really need if you're uh, if you're Vegas. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to, that he's finally on a different team. You know, they're going to finally let him get the surgery that he really needs just to get back to where he's at. And it's going to be good to see Jack Eichel in his full form later this year. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. Um, you know, hopefully Vegas is able to, like, stay okay while they have all these guys on LTIR. I'm not really sure how well that's going to shake out. Um, but whenever he does come back, there's going to have to be a good bit of cap finagling that has to go down because there's, there's still going to be a couple million dollars over the cap. So like I'd be looking for either Riley Smith or Evgeny Dadanov to potentially get moved out um, before the trade deadline, or at least before um, Jack's timetable is complete for the, rehab and recovery process from the neck fusion or from the uh, disc replacement surgery. Yeah. They currently have $27 million tied up, tied up in a uh, long-term IR between Eichel stone and Pacioretty. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's going to, like you said, Doug, there's going to be a lot of uh, I's to dot and T's to cross in order for this to end up working out and may cost. Uh, I mean, like you said, Riley Smith, maybe end up being a, guy, a piece that gets moved. I'm looking at Dadanov right now. He has a modified no trade clause. So, I mean, that's going to, I'm sure it will cause some problems along the way as well. So a lot of, a uh, lot of potential movements that are going to have to be made in order for Vegas to get back under the ceiling, but uh, it should be interesting to see how it plays out. If you get to have Jack Eichel as your number one center, it'll be worth it. Definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, and the biggest thing that I think we need to discuss is how deep this makes Vegas, at least at center now, because, I mean, let's be honest, Chandler Stevenson was playing like a number one center 
um, playing well above his means. And now he's going to go into a third line role where he can just do his thing um, whenever they're fully healthy. Um, that's that's going to be nuts. You know, when your center depth is Jack Eichel, William Carlson, Chandler Stevenson, and probably Nick Roy, that's that's real good stuff. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I mean, definitely, like you said, you know, there's definitely a lot of depth down the center at that point. And that was always like the, the weakness with Vegas. Obviously, we talked about it before how like outside of William Carlson popping off in that first year, you know, what do they really have? You had Chandler Stevenson stepping up every now and then, but you can't expect that from him, you know, consistently. Now that you have that true number one center and you're going to get back your other winners like Mark Stone and, uh, and Max Pacioretty, you know, Vegas being Vegas again, they're definitely uh, prone to make some noise here once April and May roll around. Well, and also, too, you know, they have all this depth. They have the big names. But what's really going to come down to is can they give the results? That's really what it comes down to. Whenever they get fully healthy, they got to be able to produce. There's going to be a lot of expectations on them, especially with Jack Eichel coming back. And, on like, if they don't perform, things are going to look really bad for Vegas, and it's going to be a very bad look. But not saying they can't perform, but that's going to be the question. they got to come out, just hit the ground running, and as soon as they get healthy, and just – honestly, they could probably clinch the conference if they really wanted to. Yeah, I'm not really too worried about what's going to happen after Eichel gets back. My biggest fear is that – Eichel's going to come back at a point where they've struggled so mightily and um, it might be too little too late for them to potentially sneak into a playoff spot or even be a hold of a playoff spot at that point whenever Eichel does get healthy. But um, anyways, what I was going to say was with um, moving somebody like Dadanoff, you know, if the Ducks are still in contention, I could see Anaheim making a trade for someone like Evgeny Dadanov or maybe even calling Arizona to see what's going on with Phil Kessel if Phil wanted to go there. So, like, I think they're going to have options because, you know, let's be honest, there's a couple of teams right now, at least through the first month and a couple of weeks of the year, that probably shouldn't be in playoff contention but are. And we don't really know whether or not they're going to, you know, like if it does hold up, like are they going to be like a conservative buyer at the, at the deadline and do like a soft buy on like a someone like Evgeny Dadanov or Riley Smith, who's on an expiring deal as well. Um, do a buy on someone like that when they are, when that team's essentially at the cap floor, you know, like, I think that you have the ability to unload a contract or something of that nature off on a team that's able to take it just because all the guys on their, on that team, all the guys on their ELC are just balling out and performing way above their means, similar to what's going on in Anaheim right now. I know there was one team we wanted to touch on was Anaheim, just how, how well they've played. You know, it's obviously still, early in the season, but I mean, that's really been the team that's kind of surprised me the most. I think Arizona won last night uh, too, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know that uh, Ladd ended up getting a goal, but 
yeah, there's been a lot of teams that, like you said, though, you know, just not, you know, you don't expect them to make any noise when it matters. But right now they're the teams that have definitely been, uh, you know, pushing the pushing the, uh, the pace of play in, in terms of just, you know, playing well and whatnot. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do and how much longer that ends up lasting because right now the Ducks are in a playoff position. I don't think anyone really expected them to end up there. I definitely didn't. I'm so happy that the Ducks are finally starting to realize their potential because I have a little soft spot for Anaheim. Doug, I know you do as well. But just there's so much to be excited for about this team. Just the youth movement that they have, that young core that they're going to start developing, it's just – it's so solid. You know, Drysdale, you got Sam Seal, Troy Terry, Zegris, I could go on. Those are very solid pieces to build on, especially if you want to build a dynasty, not just win a couple cups, a dynasty. Those are the players you're going to need. Obviously, they don't have it. They don't have everything figured out right now, but very good start. I really like where they're going. Yeah, um, I I agree, you know, and like real quick, I'm just going to run through the teams that are in playoff spots right now that probably shouldn't be. Um, right away, the Detroit Red Wings, third spot in the Atlantic right now, you know, the Columbus Blue Jackets having a wild card spot, the Devils still being in contention for a wild card spot right now without Jack Hughes. Um, you know, the, the Ducks, like we said, the Sharks and the Preds both probably shouldn't be playoff teams, you know, and this is interesting because, you know, things are going to flip-flop, especially in the Western Conference, because Chicago's not what we all thought they were going to be. Seattle's bad. The Avs are without Nathan McKinnon for a little bit, you know. And the way the Dallas Stars are going, by – I'm not going to say Christmas, but I would say probably by the end of January, I would not be surprised if Rick Bonus is fired. You know, like the it's it's just nuts uh, where we're at. And to touch on Troy Terry, man, I I need to talk about Troy Terry because I mean he's been unbelievable. Um, they have Troy Terry's on a 13 game point streak to start the year, and he has 16 points right now, leading the team in both goals and points. Um, he has nine goals and seven assists for 16 points. And let's be honest, there was a time last year around the trade deadline where it seemed like Troy Terry was going to get moved. Um, it didn't seem like he was going to stay there. Um, similar, similarly enough with guys like Isaac Lundstrom and, um, Sam Steele as well. Like it looked like Bob Murray was getting ready to like pull the plug on some of these minor plug and play guys they have. And honestly, we're pretty fortunate that he didn't um, for several reasons, some of which we're probably going to get into here in a little bit. But, um, yeah, Troy Terry balling out to start the year is very encouraging and very big. You know, having a guy like this perform at this level is what changes rebuilds. Like, it, it's, it's what flips rebuilds on their back completely. Like, for instance, look at how good Igor Sharangovich is for the Devils. 
You think they were expecting that whenever they drafted him? There's no chance. You know, I think they drafted him in like the fifth or sixth round. And he ended up being this good, you know? And I mean, there's a, there's a whole nut. Like I could go off about this Ducks roster because like, I'm going to read you their forward lines right now. And because it doesn't make sense that they're playing this well. Like, I don't understand it. For instance, um, Trevor Zegris is playing on a line with um, my best friend, Nick Delorier. Like, how the hell does that happen? You know? Um, so the top lines, Henrik, Getzlav, and Terry, which that's good. That's respectable, you know? Um, second lines, Nick Delorier, Trevor Zegris, Sonny Milano. This third line might be one of my favorite lines that I've seen in a while. It's Mason McTavish, Isaac Lundstrom, and Maxime Comtois. And then their fourth line is literally Derek Grant and two guys that should be playing in San Diego right now um, and would be if it wasn't for their injury situation. You know, Anaheim's defense has always been good. John Gibson, although that contract's going to age horribly, he's still kind of okay. Right now, you know, but something we need to keep in mind, like they, they have Ricard Raquel and Max Jones on injured reserve right now. Those are two key contributing players. Like we're not talking about just random plug and play guys. Those are two guys that should be playing in your top six every night, you know, and if this team's still in contention down the stretch, I'm just going to come out and say it. Go save Phil Kessel from Arizona. Go do it because we all know that the Coyotes are going to be in the business of taking on contracts. And that might just be your best bet at getting Jakob Silverberg or Adam Henrique off your, off your uh, payroll. You know, I think that that is big and I could see them doing something like that because the ducks, if they are still in playoff contention, they would be one of the few teams that would be able to take Phil on at the $6.8 million cap hit where the Arizona coyotes aren't eating money and paying him to stay away from the team. Yeah, it's definitely a, a, a huge possibility there. Going back to what you were saying about, uh, about Terry, he's been the biggest surprise for me, not just with this Anaheim team, but just the season in general. You know, when you look at the Ducks, uh, there was so much hype around, uh, excuse me, Trevor Zegers whenever he first came on board because everyone was, you know, he's like, oh, he's, he's young, he's American, he's got a chance to be, you know, a, a potential superstar or whatnot. Now you look at Troy Terry. Troy Terry is the big dog on that team right now, and I – you know, it's like you said, that's the type of guy where he pops up out of nowhere. And you're like, oh, okay. Now we have this, you know, this is a pleasant surprise. Now we can, you know, maybe this advances your rebuild or cuts it, cuts it off a year or two shorter, you know, that maybe that's what it seems like right now, the way he's been playing so far. He seems like he can be that type of guy to, you know, push him a little bit forward. So yeah, good, kudos to Anaheim so far, you know, they've had a good start and We'll see if the uh, if the clock strikes midnight, or they can keep it going. Because right now they've been uh, they've been handling business out out west. One thing I just want to add to is just the fact that you know I'm just looking through the roster here, just kind of like the points. 
one thing that's really going to help Anaheim is that whenever you get guys like Maxine Comtois, if you get them, those kind of guys that score on a nightly basis, that's really going to help just the depth of your team a lot and not relying on your big guys like Terry and, you know, all the other big guys to get all your points. So they definitely need to, you know, keep the depth scoring up or at least add to it and then they'll be in pretty good shape. Yeah, I think the biggest thing they're going to need down the stretch is they're going to need more from Sam Steele. Um, he needs to figure out like what what's going on and what his deal is. Um, it's almost like that. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it. You've seen that sketch comedy show. I think you should leave. Damn. Damn. Never mind. Actually, no, I'm just going to go out and say it. Like we're at a point where it's like that one skit where we got to figure out what Chunky does. We got to figure out what Sam Steele does. You know, I mean, this was a guy that, I would say a year and a half to two years ago, like we thought that he was going to be the future of the ducks. And now he's like, just kind of like right now he's healthy scratched, Um, you know, and it's like, figure out your role. Like if you have, you don't have to be a superstar. If you want to be, if you're able to carve out a career being like an Alexander Kerfoot, where you play like a grinder, but can still play up in the top six here and there, do it, you know? Do it, make that happen. And my other hot take right now is as it sits this evening um, with injury situations and things taken into account, I think Troy Terry's on the fourth line for Team USA. Or he's at least one of the two extra forwards. I've seen people trying to make that case for him. And uh, it's not a bad, it's not a bad thought, honestly. You know, I, I understand that we're still fairly early on and whatnot, but I mean, you can definitely make that case if you wanted to that, uh, you know, you could potentially work them in there. Um, I still don't know. It just depends. A lot – it depends on – a lot of things have to happen, I'd say, in order for that to, to really work out because, I mean, if we're looking at USA, you figure – I know I'm trying to avoid Olympic talk because we did it for so long, but we're going to go back into it here. You figure your first line's probably going to end up being a, probably something like either a DeBrinket, Matthews, or Kane. And you'll have potentially Goudreau with Larkin and Connor. Probably have the Kachuk brothers, JT. Mm-hmm. You'll have uh, Gensel in there. Jack Hughes if he's healthy. Patches are, Patch ready if he's healthy. And then uh, Chris Kreider and maybe, a, and maybe Troy Terry, maybe somebody else. Who knows? Another, uh, another, guy. and then on the back end, of course, you'll have those. You'll have the, the usual suspects and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I mean, if like I said, if and the, the guy who's kind of in the same boat as him, only for Team Canada, is uh, uh, Mangiapane for Calgary. I or, saw Mangiapane and Drake Batherson as well. You think about it, Loki. Those guys. That's good. Those are two guys who are kind of in the same boat as Troy Terry, where it's like, you know, you keep you keep playing like this. You know, you're going to catch somebody's eye. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Mangiapane being on the fourth line for Team Canada, spicy. I really, I really, really like it. Like, I would not hate it if it happened. So, yeah. Um, Peyton, you got anything or no? 
Honestly, I was just going to say kind of like what Scotty was. Just like it's not impossible for Troy Terry to – like he, he definitely deserves to be in that conversation of fourth-line Team USA roster. There's no denying that. And if he continues to play like that, he'll earn that spot. I fully believe that. So nothing new, just kind of what you guys said. Yeah, I I agree. Um, just real quick, just to touch on it, um, Bob Murray resigned as the Ducks general manager. Um, obviously, he was under investigation for probably like, I'd say he was under investigation for like 24 hours. And then he decided to uh, resign and go into an alcohol assistance program. Um, you know, Send pos- send in positive vibes to him, but at the same time, it's like, would anything have happened to the guy if um, all the carnage that came out of the Blackhawks investigation didn't occur, you know? Because, I mean, there, there's been players that have said, like, on podcasts before, like, for instance, Ryan Whitney thinks that Bob Murray is one of the worst human beings he's ever met in his life. And, you know, stuff like that, you know? It's it's nuts. Um, I think that this could potentially be the beginning of the end for the um, for like hockey men, you know. To a certain extent, yeah. I mean, this kind of stuff is not, you know, the the Mike Keenans of the world are not gonna or the Bob Murrays and all those guys they're they're coming to an end now I think and the thing is like with those guys you know they they think you have they will try and hold power over you until you eventually you know go back at them that's literally the only way you can ever take down someone like that or just you know not be intimidated by by someone like that you know they're gonna threaten you or play mind games with you. Sometimes you just got to call them out on their BS. I think that's what it is. You know, you're going to have guys like that who act like SOBs for no reason other than the fact that they can because they, they're in a high position. And sometimes guys just got to get put in their place. And obviously Bob Murray's got some things that he has to deal with away from the ice. And like you said, Doug, he will, will wish him the best. But at the same time, it's like, you know, the days of, of you know, punking these players and, and coaches and whoever else – they're done. That's not happening anymore. And you can tell just by the way the players have responded and whatnot, they're, they're moving on. They're ready to start something new. And it's just, it's just not a good look for the sport. It really isn't whenever you get, you know, things like the Blackhawk scandal, you, you hear news about Bob Murray stepping down, going into an alcoholic assistance program. Like we said, good for him, that he's, you know, he was able to make that decision. But it's just – it's really not a good look. You know, we got to move past this era. Um, I believe the NHL also needs to focus a lot more on players' mental health because it's – hockey's very, very stressful, even on the professionals. And we've seen multiple cases of it. You know, we saw with Robin Leonard a while ago. He was having a lot of battles. Um, Terry Price recently stepping away from the game and, you know, all of this stuff. I just feel like 
players, staff, all, everyone just needs to know that it's okay to you know speak up and get get things off your chest, and you should be able to play the sport that you love with a clear head and not be shamed for it or hazed for it. That's just how. That's my opinion on that. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and a lot of what you just said, Peyton, um, is a big part of the reason why I think, you know, I've seen a lot of people try to will Mike Babcock back into existence um, recently, specifically to coach the Blackhawks. And I think that if um, you are the Blackhawks organization and if you're Rocky Wirtz, that's probably the worst PR move you could ever make. I understand it would probably appease Jonathan Taze from, you know, throwing a tantrum or whatever the hell it is that he did where, you know, he basically had Stan Bowman in his back pocket. You know, I think that's a big part of the reason why, you know, Taves's comments after everything went down were as garbage as they were, you know, I, that's why I think, you know, and that's another reason why I said, um, that I think the Panthers are going to stick with Andrew Burnett, at least for right now is because like, it's not that John Tortorella is a bad person by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, John Tortorella is an amazing guy. Like you can tell, he means well. He's a very genuine human being. But, like, is it really worth rocking the boat? You know, like, that team's playing so well right now. Is it worth rocking the boat and potentially, you know, throwing someone like Anthony Duclair off of their game with how well he's looked to start the year? Yeah, Duclair's definitely had a great start to that year. Um, but kind of what you – kind of something I want to touch on here. You kind of brought it up already. Doug Key was uh, the Hawks uh, firing uh, Jeremy Colton and, and the rest of his staff. What are we thinking about that right now? And do you think is that's that's all it's going to take for Chicago to potentially right the ship? Me personally, I don't think it is because I still think that team's got a lot of depth issues and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, what do you guys think? I – I really don't think that it's going to change much. Um, you know, the damage has already been done in a sense. Well, what they go like one, nine and two to start the year, right? Something, something like that. And, you know, it's, it's hard to dig yourself out of a hole like that. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie. The defensive structure has been a little bit better under Derek King, but like, I mean, let's be honest, father time waits for nobody and the clock strikes midnight at some point. I think that it's there for like a good chunk of the Blackhawks core that's left, you know, obviously Kane's still amazing, but like Taves just doesn't have it flurry. You know, he's just, we all know that flurry is only as good as his defense is. And right now the defense is absolutely God awful. And, you know, when your defense is being led slash anchored by one Seth Jones, you're basically throwing your team into the depths of hell um, in a sense. And it's, you know, I just, I, I really, like, I think this team's a lottery team as much as I hate to say it. 
Actually, I don't hate to say it because Columbus gets that pick. I, I love to say it, actually. I, I, want, I want to see that. I want the chaos of – could you imagine if Shane writes – if they if they get Shane right because of that? Good God. I'm sorry. But, um, yeah, I really just think that this team's, like, done, you know, um, which sucks because they do have some good young players. I mean – Alex DeBrinkett's really, really good. Like, he's awesome. Dominic Kubelik's good. You know, Kirby Doc's going to be an animal, you know? Like, I don't know if he's going to be, like, true, like, superstar talent, but, like, I think he's going to be like that Jordan Stahl magically score 50 to 60 points every year and play amazing defensively type of center, and that's the type of shit you win championships with. Yep, very true. It's just, uh, like you said, you know, Chicago's got a lot of things they have to address, you know, moving forward. Because obviously, you know, they kind of went, you know, make or break this offseason in a sense. And so far, things haven't uh, worked out for them. They have that potential. I just feel like they just don't have the, uh, you know, the necessities to even make a playoff push right now. Because after, you know, those guys that you mentioned, you know, what do they really have? I mean, even even to an extent with Kirby Doc, I've been following a little bit this season. He hasn't exactly been playing that well, you know. I think he's got, like, maybe five points in 13 games. So, it's not like he's lighting the scoreboard up. I can't say I – don't, I don't think Kubelik is either, to be, to be honest. So, I mean, those guys that you need to kind of, you know, maybe carry their weight a little bit aren't doing it. And it's obvious that you don't have any depth after, you know, Taves Kane and Debrinkit. So, you know, it's just, it's not a recipe for long-term success is what I'm getting at. Well, and, you know, we, we saw the Blackhawks dynasty throughout the 2010s. And unfortunately, like you said, Doug, you said it perfectly father time, just waits for nobody. And this is the Blackhawks time to pay the piper for those cups. And not only are they paying for it with the, sexual assault cases, but now they're going to pay for it for their performance. And honestly, like, they're doing it to themselves. Like, they, they made a lot of, like, I'd call them media moves. And they got Flower, Marc-Andre Fleury, who, you know, everyone loves, except for a few people. <laughs> but, you know, they got him, made a lot of big moves. They signed Seth Jones to an egregious, horrible contract. And people considered him like the best defenseman. And since the media consider those two players good, they're going to just fall down the hole now. And it's, it's just got, it happens. It happens to the best of teams. It happens to the worst of teams. And they're going to have to pay for it this year. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like this team's cooked. I really, you know, and like, you know, you think about, you think about all the stuff that Stan Bowman's done as a general manager since the second cup or since like the third cup in what was that? 2015 now? Yep. Like the amount of like off the wall things he did to just like keep the band back together was insane. Like, I don't know how anyone trades Artemi Panarin 
and Tavo Taravainen in the same offseason and keeps her job. You know? Plus, I mean, they had Phil Deneau. They traded Phil Deneau for Dale Weiss. When did that happen? That happened. That? I want to say like 2014, 2015 ish. I don't remember. But like, <laughs> what I'm trying to get at is um, not only was Stan Bowman a horrible human being, he was also beyond god awful at his job. It should have been, you know, dealt with much, much sooner than when he did, you know. Um, but moving forward, since you know, you brought up you brought up the special boy, you brought up flower. We need to segue into my rant segment of why is there all of a sudden a bastardization of Tristan Jari. Jari is like literally the only reason the Penguins have been somewhat okay this year. I mean, you know, and everybody gets all like upset. They're like, oh, he keeps dropping shootout games, blah, 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 blah. But like, I'd rather him be good at everything else and be absolutely god-awful in the shootout. Because for a better part of 10 to 12 years, we didn't have that. We had the guy that was horrible at everything else, but amazing in the shootout. And, you know, I'm not with that. I think, you know, the other thing that bugs me is, like, everybody just attacking, like, you know, everybody's like, oh, the Penguins suck. Like, no, the process is in place. Like, it's there. If you go look at metrics, they're poised for a major breakout. Like, they're going to be absolutely, you know, granted something weird occurs with, like, PDO where it's not in their favor. They're going to be absolutely insane whenever Sid comes back and whenever Malkin is healthy. They're going to be unbelievable, you know? And I just – I don't understand it. Like, I just feel like people don't like the math aspect of the game, you know? Like, and everybody gets all upset. I mean, I, I still see people screaming into the void about how they don't think that Zach Aston Reese is an, NA, is an NHL-caliber player. How in the hell do you come up with that take? Where do you get that from, you know? And the other thing that I need to just like this one, this one's going to be what you got to pull me in on. People will scream their heads off about Chris Letang, but will laugh or think Mike Matheson is doing his job whenever Mike Matheson does whatever the hell he does. Like you got to be kidding me. Like, are you serious right now? Like I cannot, I can't get past it. I mean, the truth is our two healthy scratch defensemen and the and POJ, who's normally in Wilkes-Barre, all three of them can outlay better results than Mike Matheson can. It's the same it's it's the it's the Justin Schultz is what the brain dead portion of the fan base thinks Crystal Tang is conundrum. 
coming again. I, I just, I can't believe it, you know? And like, I don't understand how anybody could even criticize Latang's player play up until this point. Like he's been amazing. Um, and I think there's absolutely no correlation whatsoever that they are able to win games when Chris Latang's in the lineup because they went to hell for a couple of days whenever that man was on the COVID list. And now obviously they're not winning games, but they're stealing points in overtime and shootout losses. Um, largely in part to Latang's play and the play of Tristan Jari, you know, and I mean, you know, I just, I can't get past it. Like the fact that somebody could come out and say they are not on board with Zach Aston or he's being on this roster just blows my mind. I can't. The reason why they're saying that, Doug, is because they're looking at his goals and assists and points and saying, oh, he doesn't score points. So that's why he's not good. They don't see like the, the, the things he does away from the puck, which is honestly the best part of this game. People want to see the value in the in the point totals and the point column, and, and that's what they base it off of. Instead of okay, when he's in his own zone, he's easily the most effective player that the Penguins have, or one of at least. With your with Jari's complaint, I mean, I'm with you on that one. I mean, Jari, yeah, he, he sucks in the shootout, but you know what helps? Winning the game in regulation. Or winning in overtime. Like it, like we've literally had that format that's designed to end the game in overtime. I, I get that we don't have Crosby. I, don't to, I get that we don't have Malkin. There's no reason why we should be losing to Chicago. There's no reason why, you know, and I know I said this before. I said that Jeff Carter was going to have to step up for us. He can't be the only one that does. Like at some point, you know, Jay Gensel's got to remember that he's a, he's a potential Olympic athlete. You know, Brian Rust, same kind of goes for him. What, what's happened to him as of late? Don't know what his deal is. Um, there are a bunch of other guys you can probably point the finger at too, but those are the two that are sticking out in my mind because, you know, I think they're that good, or at least I used to think that. So as far as all that's concerned, Mike Matheson is just a dumpster fire. He's not even worth talking about. But, yeah, there's just there's a lot of things that the Penguins have to do. I mean, I like I said, I get that you don't have Crosby and Malkin, and – I hear what you're saying about the analytics, Dougie, about how, you know, this team's poised for a breakout. Well, right now they're a last place team. They are a last place team. And something has to change in order for that to, you know, you know, in order for us to not end up there. And the fact of the matter is that the Penguins, whoever they have left that needs to step up, isn't doing it. Jake Gensel is not playing well. Brian Rust isn't playing well. You know, I'm sorry, Jeff Carter can't be your best player. It can't happen like that. You're not going to have any success if 36-year-old Jeff Carter is your best hockey player. It's not going to happen. Old prediction. Now that you just had that little little tangent there, Jason right. Zucker Hattie is coming in about 45 minutes. That's another guy that I wouldn't mind seeing more than more than once a month. More than once a month, I mean. You know, it'd be nice to see Jason Zucker score more than once a month. That would be cool too. But whatever. Peyton, what do you have? I know you have thoughts. I mean, he's not wrong. You're not wrong, Scotty. Like they literally are at the bottom of the metro right now. I know they've been they've been forcing these games to overtime, but when when are we gonna stop and just end it and get the points? Two points goes a very long way when it comes to seeding. Now, overtime losses, in my opinion. Or shootout losses, they're okay 
every once in a while because it is one point. But we got it. Two points is better. Two points is better. Two points literally could be the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. And it's not even like – sorry to cut you off there, Payne, but it's not even like – it's the it's who we're losing those games to as well. Like, yeah. why are we why are we putting six up on Tampa and seven up on Toronto, but we're dropping games in the shootout to Chicago or some other scrub team that we've lost? I'm, I don't know them offhand. No, I don't know. Hold on a second here. I mean, Minnesota. They lost to Minnesota the other night, and Freddie Gidrow is their first line center. Yeah, yeah, that, that can't happen. <laughs> I mean, so I'll, I'll give Minnesota a pass because they're on the top of their division, so I'll let that one slide. But still, no reason to lose to Chicago. Not at all. Don't care. Yeah, it's just, you know, like I said, they're a last-place team. They've been getting overtime losses, but we they need to just literally like, just screw their head on straight. And I, like I said, don't care. There's not Crosby, no Malkin. We've seen them do it before. They need to start doing it again. The last three games have gone to uh, to overtime or shooting mm-hmm. against Philly, Minnesota, and Chicago. So, yeah, and those are they all three. And they also lost to Dallas. Oh, that was the team I forgot about. Dallas. They lost to Dallas. <laughs> that was the one that pissed me off. Yeah, losing to Dallas. I didn't forget about that. I was there with a certain human being, and I was. <laughs> uh, it was it was bad. It, it was it was very bad. Um, you know. Yeah, that was another one. Like the only one that was really like acceptable was when they took Florida into overtime. Yeah, because that's a good team. That's yeah, a good like team. they had no business taking Florida into overtime. The truth is, they should have gotten absolutely rocked. But you know, but um, I mean, and the thing that's tough is like the thing that's so frustrating to see them at the bottom of the metro right now is like they have in most of the games they have not played particularly bad um the only game where i truly think they played like garbage and were horrible was when they played calgary um that was the only one that truly concerned me you know um also stood on his head in that game too so i mean Say what you will about it. Markstrom played out of his mind. Yeah, yeah. Like, are you, are you there for that one too? I wasn't, but I watched it, and he's like on another pine. I was, I was there for the Minnesota one on Saturday night, though. That was, that was nuts. I mean, it was okay though. We got to see Captain score a hat trick. Yeah, how about that guy finally getting off the schneid, dude? Literally, I was, I was about to say that. Whatever you were talking, I was like, uh, is. Are we taking Kasperi Kapanen off the list? We probably shouldn't because he's only scored one game so far. <laughs> if I'm being honest, we probably shouldn't take him off. We, we can probably throw him up on there too because aside from absolutely torching Minnesota, he's done nothing else since then. So, yeah. 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 You know, and the other thing that, like, is kind of driving me crazy is, like, they just randomly decided to throw Dan Heinen on the fourth line. He's not scoring anymore. But, like, he wasn't scoring because they put him on the fourth line. True. You know what I mean? Like, like he had those good games, and then, like, right after he did score one game, like, they just threw him on the fourth line. And I was like, this is kind of weird. I don't like this. They're shaking things up, I guess. I don't know. 
Speaking of shaking things up, Peyton, should I read that lineup off that I tweeted earlier? Yeah, double check it here. Let's find it. On Twitter, the cap friendly one. Yeah, the one that I made on a cap friendly uh, thing. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know how I feel. Like, I know I was just ripping the shreds, but I don't know how I feel about Brian Rust on the third line. I'd rather see Heinen there than him. Okay, I could see that. I could see that. So, in the midst of everybody trying to light Twitter on fire this afternoon and uh, screaming about Zach Aston Reese and getting more than upset over not getting instant gratification with goal scoring, I thought to myself, like, how could I make a lineup that would, one, maximize the Penguins' ability to get the most out of their lineup, and two, piss everyone off at the same time? I think I've done it um, because here we go. Line one, Jake Gensel, Sidney Crosby, Jason Zucker. They finally have enough depth at left wing where it would be socially acceptable to stack the top line and do this. Um, We all know that this is where Zucker was at his best when he was playing with Crosby. And as much as I would love to see Gensel with Malkin, we're not going to do that at the expense of trying to, um, you know, milk value out of Jason Zucker. Um, At least Mike Sullivan's not going to do that. Line one. Danton Heinen, Evgeny Malkin, Kasperi Kapanen. Obviously, Heinen was on a shooting tear to start the year, but this would also give Malkin and Kapanen someone defensively responsible to play with, um, where they're not going to get cooked um, on the defensive side of the puck. And then the third line is Brock McGinn, Jeff Carter, and Brian Rust. I have had this belief for several years now that Brian Ross can carry his own line, similar to what Phil Castle was able to do during his time in Pittsburgh. And I would, I, I'm like to the point now where I am more than ready for them to explore it, especially since they have options to put up with Sid and Jake. Um, and the fourth line, it's going to be one of Drew O'Connor or Evan Rodriguez with Teddy Bluger and Zach Aston Reese. I like, obviously, Rodriguez has been awesome to start the year. Um, like he's been okay, but at the same time, I like the idea of having O'Connor in there. You know, obviously he's a f- skilled player, but he also has that reach that I think would be very valuable towards a defensive fourth line like we're trying to get out here. And then the defense is Pedersen, Latang, POJ, Marino. And we're going to shelter Brian Dumoulin in a third pairing little chatter wheel because I've hinted at this earlier. Dumoulin's been obviously prior to him going on the COVID list, he's been pretty damn bad. And, you know, he's not a guy that I think you trade or try to get rid of. Um, in a sense, I think if you were going to try and get rid of anyone on this defense, it would be somehow finding a way to rid yourself of Mike Matheson. Um, even if you have to take like some form of like a crappy draft pick compensation back in return, because one, you don't need them at all. Like you have three to four other guys waiting in the wings that can play better than he can and will come at a price tag that is close to three and a half million dollars cheaper. Um, 
And two, I mean, I mean, like I said, like you don't need them. And um, especially with the fact that like, if you wanted to maximize Mike Matheson, you would think they would have him quarterback the second power play unit with how his offensive instincts are. But with them using Marino as the quarterback on that second unit, like there's more than that. There's more reason for them not to keep Matheson around, you know, like, and I'm not asking for some weird daily for Scuderi type garbage. I'm just asking for them to like, just find a way to rid themselves of the contract. Um, you know, because he's good enough. I mean, he's not bad. It's just he doesn't fit what the Penguins do. You know? So, yeah, I think that's something they need to try and work on. I'd imagine that Ron Hextel is probably working on it, you know? Because, like I said last week with Dumoulin, like, if you move out a $4.5 million cap hit and you fill that defensive spot from within – that's your money to keep Brian Ross right there if you choose to do so. You know? And, I mean, I'm not worried about keeping Malkin and Latang from a money perspective, you know, because Malkin is going to is going to have to take a pay cut. Like, I'd expect his next Cox cock to come around like six and a half or seven million. And then Latang, I don't know. I don't know what his contract's going to be like. I think that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be stunned and angry when he makes maybe a million dollar more, million dollars more on his next deal because of how good he's been over the past year and a half to two years now. Um, that's just my opinion. What do you guys think? definitely possible i mean gino i remember seeing a report that gino wanted like nine or ten million on his next deal and i thought that was even before his injury and everything i thought he was aiming way too high i didn't think he was going to be worth that to begin with but um yeah i think that's probably a realistic thing i don't know if gino would you know the thing is like even if that's what the penguins did offer I still think that, you know, Gino would get more from another team somewhere else. I don't know where it would be now, but I'd say that he could definitely still get somewhere in the in that eight or nine million range just because a team's going to, you know, buy into the hype, obviously, because it's up getting Malkin, why wouldn't you? So, yeah. And, you know, this is the thing, and, like, this is something that none of us know about. Um, how much does he still prioritize being with Sid? You know, yeah. how much does he prioritize sticking here and sticking it out and being and having it just be him and Sid forever, you know? Because I feel like we've seen so many times, like, where it's like, oh, Malkin wants to go be on his own team, do this, do that. But now we're to a point now where Malkin signed, signed somewhere. It's probably not his team anymore. Like, he's going to be second fiddle to somebody. And it's going to be somebody a whole hell of a lot worse than Sidney Crosby is. You know, like, you really think that he's going to go sign in Calgary to play second fiddle with Sean Monaghan? Or some really. random crap like that? I don't know. I'm just, like, throwing out random-ass hypotheticals at this point. But I don't know. I think that 
you know, I think he's going to stay, but at the same time, I'm just going to come out and say it now. If, if you had to pick one, I would prioritize Latang. Um, I think that that's where we're at. I think that the numbers speak for themselves in the sense of, you know, obviously Sid's the best player, but I think the most important player on the, that's been on the roster for the past 12 to 15 years has been Chris Latang. The team goes as he goes. Um, you know, everybody, a certain human being, a certain individual loves to just tweet from his basement and bring up about how they won in 2017 without Crystal Tang. But a lot of that was because Matt Murray was on something that spring. And like, literally, like they got into the Ottawa series and Matt Murray came in and was just God tier for a month, you know? So, yeah, I mean, that's that. I think, you know, and my main takeaway from my little rant is just because you're not getting the instant gratification of them scoring goals and winning games does not mean that you need to hit the panic button yet. You know, like they're, they're there. I mean, and they're in a lot better spot right now than they were in the 15, 16 season where they went off and won the cup, you know, like, I think this team's better equipped to do the damn thing than the team that won six years ago. Um, that's just me talking. You know, the only worry would be goaltending potentially, but I'm of the thinking that um, Jari can go off and have a good swagger and a good energy about him, similar to what Jordan Bennington did for the Blues and just go off on a tangent for three months. If it came down to it. And real quick, just to touch on, the Maple Leafs are playing a whole hell of a lot better since they've shook up their lines and deep pairings. Nylander's back with Matthews, which is fantastic. Um, you love to see it. And they put Marner back with um, Tavares. I mean, they've, they've played really, really well. And it's huge that they're playing this well because they're doing all of this without uh, Peter Mrazek being healthy, you know, I know that Jack Campbell's the number one, but like, if you have both of them healthy, you have potential to win every night. And now Jack Campbell has to play basically every night because they don't want to have their backup come in. You know, um, I'm looking right now to see who the Leafs backup is right now. I think it's Ian Scott, but I don't want to make a mistake. I lied. It's the other one. It's Joseph Wool. So that's something. And the big thing, they're going to have to clear cap at some point. Um, they're going to, they're going to try and clear cap, I think, and upgrade and upgrade the right side of their defense. I would not be surprised if they somehow pull off an insane trade or near the deadline where Dubis once again, just, you know, puts his hand in the ring and says, we're going to find a way to trade for Damon Severson. Um, I just, I think it makes all the sense in the world. Like I think of guys that I would want potentially playing with Morgan Riley. And there, there's been not a lot of guys that make sense to me more than Damon Severson at this point, because, you know, they tried the big rugged defensive defenseman thing with Riley 
and it doesn't really work particularly well, you know. They need someone like Severson that can move the puck, but is also skilled enough and um, defensively intelligent enough to cover for Riley so that he can go take the shots off the ice. You know, because, I mean, let's be honest. Do you really want Morgan Riley playing uh, the stretch run with the corpse of Josh Manson on his uh, right side? like everybody's been screaming about for two and th- two to three years. I don't think you do. No, probably not. You know, so. and I'll go ahead, Scotty. Uh, I was just agreeing with you. I mean, you're right. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. I think Travis Dermott's been fine there. I don't really, you know, again, like Leaf fans are always like, oh, we need to keep upgrading, have the super team, have the super team. But like, honest to God, I think they could win a playoff round with Travis Dermott playing with, um, Morgan Riley, you know, just as literally just do anything as long as you don't have Justin Hall in there, you're okay. And they, they, they've proven that over the past two weeks. So if you were, if you were Toronto and you were trying to ship out, say a, a Justin Hall, where would you send him to? Cause I saw a couple rumors saying that, uh, you know, given how thin the Penguins have been on the blue line, they should look into it. I will say this right now. If they do give up assets for Justin Hall, this podcast will see the biggest temper tantrum it's ever seen. You thought Jari flipping the puck to Josh Bailey was bad. That'll be like, I will be literally mad online if they trade for Justin Hall. He's that bad. Um, You know, one of my buddies asked me about this and I tried to explain to him. I'm like, they'd be better off running Chad Ruiz and Mark Friedman out there every night than they would you know, paying $2 million for Justin Hall to run around and do what he does. Uh, But to answer your question, Scotty, I think Chicago would make sense. And I think, um, I think the Islanders would make sense as well. You know, they're a team that's looking for some defensive upgrades. I know that um, I think Lou has looked into both Justin Hall and Travis Dermott. So the potential is there, but um You know, if I were the Maple Leafs, I would try offering Justin Hall with a draft pick of some sort attached to him to the Blackhawks to try and get Dylan Strom out of there. Um, I think that that's reasonable. You know, not really to play in a third-line role. Um, David Camp has been awesome at at the third-line center role for the Maple Leafs. But I think, you know, if you were to get Dylan Strum, play him with Tavares and Marner on the on the wing. Or play him with um, or play him with Matthews and Nylander on the wing and just let him find his game again and get his uh, get get his career back on track because you know they're gonna have to trade Alex Kerfoot. Um, just because of the fact that that man makes three and a half million dollars and just kind of chills there because whenever they're fully healthy, they could run Ilya Mikheyev in the top six and survive with the way that they're currently assembled, you know, and depending on how the leg heals for Nick Robertson, I think that that's also a possibility as well. Running him in the top six with either Matthews or Mark or um, Tavares. 
So yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, just going back to what uh, you know, because I'm kind of just stuck on it. You know, as far as potential defenseman that could help out the Pens right now. Uh, what do we think of Mark Pick, Mark uh, Mark Pissick? What do you think of him? I wouldn't hate him because, like, if they can fit him into the cap, whenever everybody gets healthy again, that's the ultimate, like, sixth or seventh defenseman, you know? Like, I feel like a lot of people think about, you know, trying to catch lightning in a bottle like you did with, with Cody Cece. Um, and I think if you were to able to get Pisic, I think that's more than doable and more than respectable. You know, what do you think about that, Peyton? You know, uh, you said, um, Pisic or was it Pisic you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's all right. I, like I said, I wouldn't hate it. I think there might be, you know, some other options that they, they, what, whatever they do, they definitely need to do it ASAP. You know, we've mentioned earlier, Mike Matheson just has, has to go right now <laughs> ASAP. Um, there's a lot of choices out there, and whatever they're going to do, they got to make sure that they get the right decision. Pizik, I, I mean, if he just plays like, you know, third pairing minutes, I think that'd be fine. But, you know. Yeah, the, the hockey nerd in me has always wanted this for many years. I, I would love for them to trade for Ilya Labushkin from the um, Coyotes. Um, like that, that guy's the ultimate like third pairing defenseman that can just drive the puck up the ice and play the possession game while still being sound as can be defensively, you know, and another person to just to bring up and touch on Jason Demers is chilling in free agency right now. I'm not really sure what his deal is, but, um, He's he's out there, and I mean that's a more than capable NHL defenseman right there. If you needed him, you know, similar to how they just kind of brought Yannick Weber in last year, um, out of necessity. But I really, I really like where they're at, and I understand. Like, I also understand some people talking about how when they're fully healthy, they'd love to push Chad Weedle into like a seventh defenseman role again. But like, he's been so good that like, you really don't need to do that. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's been ready to be a more than capable NHL fifth or sixth defenseman since 2018. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like he's been waiting for this opportunity for a while. And I think, um, I think he has the potential to be perfectly fine back there, similar to like how Mark Eaton used to be for the Penguins uh, 10 years ago. Yeah, I think Ruby has been uh, one of those guys who just, he's never really gotten a fair shake. There's always seemed like there's someone who's gotten, you know, leapfrogged over him at some point. So it wouldn't shock me if that happens again, obviously, because I mean, if we're being honest, Mark Freeman has not been a uh, has not been bad this year. You know he's 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 held up his uh, he's held his own for the most part, and, but so is Ruweedle when he has been in the lineup. So I think you could go either way with that if you wanted to. Yeah. Plus, 
not to beat a dead horse more than I've already beaten it, but like POJ's been okay. Mm-hmm. Like he hasn't looked that bad this time around. Like you can tell that he's like slowly like growing into his body in, in a sense. And um, that's kind of translated into his play this go around. Um, the thing that excited me the most was they were actually out of necessity. They were able to assemble POJ on a pairing with John Marino which is something that I think I would say all three of us have been curious about for quite some time now, where it's like, you know, if you can do that and maybe either move Marcus Pedersen up or down in the lineup, that would be, that would be ideal because we all know that, I mean, and I think of it this way, like look at what Marcus Pedersen's able to do for John Marino. Imagine what he could potentially do for Chris Letang if he were playing with him. You know, like that's that's something that I would love to see them explore. I think that's the thing that I'm most curious about outside of, you know, the potential of giving Brian Rust his own line. But um, yeah, do you guys have anything else? Okay, cool. Because I'm trying to wrap up here real quick. Um, all righty, guys. Well, this has been another episode of Four Checking TV. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at 4 TV. subscribe to us on YouTube, and look for us wherever you get your podcasts from.